Good morning. I'm Marty Cates, the associate pastor here at Sycamore, and it's my privilege this morning to open God's Word with you as we uh, begin this Advent season, this series that hope wore a diaper. Remind us that, that Advent is a, a season that's not just Christmas. It's longer than that. You know, it, it starts this Sunday and goes through Christmas. Christmas is the, the end of it. It's the pinnacle. It's a season that's shaped by longing and waiting and anticipation for the birth of Christ. It's also a season as we're weeks away still from that Christmas day, thankfully, so I haven't finished my Christmas shopping, that we don't just set our hearts on the coming birth of Christ, but on his second advent, his second coming, where he will come as he has promised to restore all things. And so this morning as we come to his word, we look at this idea of God's favor that's visited upon Mary. And so if you are willing and able, I'd ask that you stand as we read together from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And and uh, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come this morning to your word and ask that you would bless it. That you would use it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would open our, our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. You might draw us into deeper faith and love and a greater understanding of your great love and sacrifice for us. In Christ Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I forgot in the first service to tell everybody they could sit down. Everybody just stared at me. So you could be seated. You can stand if you want, but it'll be a while. We, we turn to this morning as we begin this series to uh, this passage, this annunciation of the birth of Jesus, of Gabriel's pronouncement to Mary. And, and, and he shows up and she's, she's terrified. It's not always a good thing, right, when God's angel shows up. And he tries to comfort her and says, oh, favored one. And she's still a little bit like, what's going on? It says she's, she's trying to discern what kind of greeting this is. And he says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
I hear the word favor and immediately I jump to this idea that I've got to do a favor for you. You, you, You've asked me to do something or I'm about to ask you to do something. Maybe it's a small favor. Sometimes it's, hey, I need a big favor. But I I automatically jump to this. It's it's something that's got to be done. And I, I forget that it's tied with the same word as favorite, right? They share five letters. I understand favorite pretty well. I have a favorite ice cream and a favorite cookie and favorite people. We have a favorite something. We understand it's at the top of the list. It, 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 it gets our special attention, our love, our, our affections. I happen to have a, a favorite college football team, you know, who, who happened to yesterday beat up on my least favorite college football team. And, and you know when I say that, that that means one of those teams has my favor upon it. And the other one has none of my favor. We have a, an understanding of it. And, and so this morning the question is, do you have the favor of God? Do you have it? The angel shows up and says you have favor because it's not a given, right? And there's times in God's word where the angel shows up and it's not God's favor, God's love that comes with it, but God's judgment that passes over his people. And so he comes to Mary and says, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. So the question this morning is, have you found favor with God? Do you have God's love? Do you know his favor? And we long to be someone's favorite, to be the top of someone's list. There's a, a, a commercial from Capital One uh, that's, that's on right now, and I don't watch a lot of TV, but I think it's still out there. On there it's about their banking app, and it's this picture of these kids. They're on a, a, a basketball court. They're about to play a game. It's focused in first on the two captains, and they're mulling over who's going to be the first pick. And uh, the, the young woman who's one of the captains is kind of scratching her chin, and she says, I picked Charles. And the camera goes over, and, and, and what comes into view um, is the basketball player that I try to model my game after the most. I've, I've been referred to as, as the, the white Charles Barkley, the round mound of rebound. Um, more because of the round part, less because of the rebound part. But it's Charles Barkley. He's standing among these kids who are maybe five years old, and she picks Charles, and Charles goes, yes, still got it. And as he's walking off to join his captain, he turns to the, the young man who's five beside him and goes, told you she'd pick me first. We long to be Charles. And, and we often put ourselves in places where we know we're going to be Charles because we so much want it. We go seeking that love and affection, often in the wrong places. And we come this morning to this passage and we have to ask, do we have God's love? Do we have God's favor? We look at three things. Who gets God's favor? What is God's favor? And how do we respond to God's favor? So who gets it? Who gets the favor in life? You know, in high school, it's the star quarterback or the head cheerleader or the person with the cool car or the pool in the backyard. As you get older, it's the one who's been successful in their work, who's likable, who's a joy to be around, makes people laugh. See, in in, in our lives, favor always runs towards those who can gather us more favor, who can grant us a little bit more respect or love, or affection from those that we long for it from. We try to tie ourselves to their wagon that they might pull us along with them. That's the favor of man. It's not God's favor. Who's God's favor come to? Who's the one who receives God's favor? It's the lowly. It's the unexpected. It's really the last person you think it would be. I know when we read here of Mary, we automatically go, Mary, the mother of Jesus. But if we were reading this for the first time, as Luke had written it to the 
the audience, if we, if we were part of that original audience, we would hear Mary and go, no way, not a chance. Well, let's look at Mary's biography. Why would they think that? Well, first, Mary's poor. Right, verses 26 and 27, as the angel Gabriel announces to her, he says that this, uh, God was sent to the city of Galilee and named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name is Mary. She's poor. We know she's poor because just in a, a page term, when Joseph and her go to dedicate to their son at the temple as the practice, the law required, what offering do they bring? They bring the poor offering. They bring the lesser of the offerings. They couldn't afford, so they had to go with the poor offering. She's poor. She's young. She's betrothed. We, we, we know, you know, at this, this time, people didn't live as long. They got going with life a little bit sooner. She's a teenager and a young one. Average age of betrothal was probably about 13. Spent a year betrothed as your husband went away to prepare the house and life for you, and then about 14, you got married. So she's young and she's poor. God's favor comes to this poor young girl who happens to be from Nazareth, a city of Galilee, a town of Galilee. Why do we have to have a reference to where it's at? Because nobody knew it. Nazareth only appears 12 times in the New Testament. It's not spoken of in the Old Testament at all. It's not spoken of in, in Josephus' history. It's not spoken of in rabbinical writings, the Mishnah, the Talmud. You can go on and on and on. It's 12 times in the New Testament and doesn't show up again for 200 years after the birth of Christ. I mean, it'd be like me you know, saying that, that Mary had our favor and that she was from Poolsiden. There's a place called Poolsiden in Virginia. If you've been in Virginia a long time, you might know where it's at. But most likely, I'd have to give you some clues Tell you it's in Dinwiddie County, close to Church Road between the lake and 460. You can go looking for it. It's one road. There's a gas station that may or may not be open. Depends on the day, if they decide to go over to it or not. It's that kind of small town. It's a backwoods place. So we have this poor girl from this small town who receives God's favor. You would think that the Savior of the world would come from somewhere like Rome or, or Jerusalem or Athens or a place of, of power and of influence because nothing good could come from Nazareth, right? But it's this poor young woman from Nowheresville that gets his favor. And by choosing Mary, God begins to, to unravel and show us the humiliation that his son would have to endure for the salvation of sinners. Martin Luther said a, of this way that, that God might have well have gone to Jerusalem and picked Caiaphas' daughter. She was fair and rich, clad in gold embroidery, attended to by maids in waiting, but God preferred the lowly maid from a mean town. He preferred this lowly maid from a mean town because the plan of salvation required Jesus to humble himself to then be exalted. Jesus, to rescue us from our sins, has to lift us to glory by leaving glory and entering into our misery our suffering, our world, and what better way to show why he had come than to being born by this poor young girl from nowhere town, Nazareth. Mary receives God's favor. She's the recipient of God's grace, not a repository of grace. See, Mary's not the mother of grace, but a daughter of grace, just like you and me. What do we take from God's coming and giving his favor to Mary? What do we make of who receives God's favor here in Luke 1. 
We aren't married. You, you haven't been called to experience what she experienced. You haven't been called to, to give birth to the Son of God. She alone has that honor, that privilege, that grace. But her example is for us. She has received God's grace, and her example shows to us that God shows favor, unmerited favor, to lowly sinners like you and me. Even when we might feel small and insignificant, overlooked by the world, we know that God is for us, that God's favor can be ours, that we too can see, receive his favor and be his favorite. You heard Sean in the announcements talk about the angel tree and that we have a few left out there that need to be picked up. The angel tree started as a ministry of, of prison fellowship and it's a ministry that, that allows uh, children of people who are incarcerated to receive a gift from their parents. Lots of churches do it. Communities do it. They might place it in the community center. Uh, a city in, in, in Maryland not too many years ago placed theirs in the mall. Right next to the, the, the fountain kind of in the center was a big old Christmas tree. And a young man who lived not too far from that mall named Damien, his name was on one of those angels. His Christmas wish list was on one of those angels. And so after the tree went up and all the angels were put on it, Damien would get out of school and jump on his bike and he would pedal himself down to the mall and he'd leave his bike out front and he'd run to the tree and he'd look for his name. So the day that went up, he found his name on the tree and he knew where it was and he went back day after day. And more and more names started to disappear from the tree and his angel stayed. He began to, to maybe lose a little bit of hope and become disheartened. And the day of day finally came. And Damien rode his bike and he dropped it where he normally did and he ran in and his angel was gone. Joy and elation filled his heart. Someone had chosen Damien's angel. Someone had, had shown him favor. And in his joy, he looked to the woman who was running it and he ran at her full steam and jumped to hug her. And she caught Damien in her arms. They both fell over in the fountain. <laughs> Smiling and laughing for the joy that he had received the favor of some stranger. Do you have that kind of joy? Do you have God's favor? Does it set your heart on fire that you run and jump for joy that you have been chosen, that you have received his favor because he chose you. It's not just who gets it, but what is it? And we read this word favor that the angel uses twice at the beginning here, and we have to go, what, what, what is this favor you speak of? Why should we be so excited about it? Well, the, the, the word is um, at its root both times is the word for grace. So it gets translated into favor. But its root is grace. Mary, you have received God's grace. Greetings, O one who has God's grace. The Lord is with you. She's troubled. He says, don't be afraid. You have found grace. But here's the thing. Grace doesn't, she hasn't found grace. She wasn't looking for grace. No, God's grace found her. Sought her out. Reminded, I, I love the, the Food Network, particularly like some of the shows where they travel around to different restaurants. And I can't think of the name of the restaurant. I could have looked it up and written it down. I didn't. But they go there and they throw rolls. You, you, you want another roll, you put your hand up. 
Lambert's, the home of the throat roll. They just pelt. I mean, it's like Joe Montana out there. They're just zinging those things across the restaurant. You snatch it out of the air, you get a roll. I just picture, as God's grace is seeking Mary out, that she's sitting in that restaurant, and he's got a basket full of grace. She hasn't asked for it, and it smacks her upside the face. Because we go looking for it at times. There are times where we cry out to God and we need his grace. We need his love. But more often than not, there are times that we're not even looking for it and it hits you smack in the face. And that's Mary. She's taken back. Trying to discern what this greeting means. What do you mean I'm the one who has God's grace? So what is this grace that she has been given, that she would give birth to this son as a young, poor virgin from Nazareth. There's a few things here that give us clues to what this grace is in verses 31 to 33. As as Gabriel tells her, you're going to give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus. Now we hear the name of Jesus and we think, oh yeah, that's Jesus, he's the Savior, that's Jesus, he's the Lord. She would have heard Jesus and, and, and it translates into God saves. The Lord is salvation. So think about this, the, the, the grace that is for her, that every time she goes to comfort her infant when he's crying, Jesus, it's okay. Mama's here. All she's hearing in her head is God saves. The Lord is salvation. As he grows up and he's out, you know, playing in the fields with his friends and she calls him in for dinner, Jesus, it's dinner time. She's ringing the bell. And all she hears is God saves. The Lord is salvation. As he grows into a young man, she begins to commend him for his work as an apprentice carpenter to her, his father. And he's like, Jesus, that's a great little pommel horse. Good job. Good job. You did a great job framing out that door. All she hears is God saves. The Lord is salvation. And then she looks at the cross. And her son Jesus is there. And all she can see is God saves. The Lord is salvation. Second, he will be great. Gabriel tells her. His name will be Jesus and he will be great. There's no modifier here, right? If, we, if you turn back a page in your Bible, maybe, maybe it's on the same page in mine, it's the, the page back. Gabriel has another, another enunciation of a birth to Zechariah about John the Baptist. And, and he says to Zechariah, do not be afraid. Sounds familiar, right? Your prayer has been heard. He was looking for God's grace. He needed God's grace. He wanted God's provision. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. It's not just that he will be great, he will be great before the Lord. See, that matters. That when when Gabriel proclaims to Mary that your son will be great. There's no ins, there's no ofs, there's no buts. It's just he will be great. Throughout the Old Testament, the only time that, that something is attributed as great with no modifier is when it is part of something divine. God's wisdom is great. His strength is great. God is great. God alone is worthy of greatness with no modifier. So it's not just his name saying, it's God that saves, the Lord is salvation. She's being told that your son is God. Just in the fact that he's being called great 
with nothing else qualifying it. God's greatness contains no buts, no ends, no ofs. Third, he's the son of the most high. It says, you're going to have a son, you're going to call him Jesus, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. See this title in, given in the Old Testament and it becomes the name that's associated with God's uh, my, majesty and his supremacy over all things. It's the name that begins to be exclusively used in that way, that, that the one true God emphasizing his majesty and his supremacy in this babe that's to be born is the son of the most high. Just reinforcing for her that this baby you're to carry is going to be the second person of the Trinity. He will be the son of God. And then lastly, this throne that will be established. As Gabriel says, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know, Mary is about to marry someone from the house of David. She knows as a good Israelite the promises given to David in 2 Samuel. And she's been listening, and as, as Gabriel tells her these things, she realizes that, that the four big promises given to David by Nathan have been answered right here in this annunciation, in this announcement to her of this babe. The kingdom that will last forever. All four of the great pieces of the prophecy that Nathan gives are fulfilled in Christ. And promised here. Great will his name be in 2 Samuel 7 9. He, he will sit on the messianic throne, 2 Samuel 7 13. He will have divine sonship. He will be the Son of God, 2 Samuel 7 14. And his kingdom will be eternal, 2 Samuel 7 16. It's just the checkboxes going down. The favor of God, the grace of God that's come to her is that she will birth the Savior. The everlasting king. Why? Why? Because we have fallen from God's favor. Our, our sin has separated us and removed God's favor from us. Except for the work of Christ. Except in this babe that she would bear. Except for the hope that wore a diaper. We need this baby to be born in Bethlehem. Mary needs this baby to be born in Bethlehem. The heroes of faith in the Old Testament need this baby to be born in Bethlehem. The 12 apostles need this baby to be born in Bethlehem. The divine favor that falls on Mary is the goodness of the gospel, that salvation has come and that she will bear the child. Christ Jesus, who comes as a babe, and grows to a toddler and a young man and finally a man, he loses God's favor that we might gain it. Right? As he's on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could easily say, my God, my God, why have you removed your favor from me? Where's the affection and the love? This babe that she is to bear lost the favor of God that he might win it for us. Lastly, how do we respond? How do we respond to God's favor, to God's grace? 
Well, how does Mary respond? She's been told all of these, these things that are going to be about her son, and she kind of interrupts Gabriel. Gabriel's on a roll, and then Mary, Mary's like, mm, hey, Gabriel, got to slow down. Got some questions. How is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? She's young, but she knows enough about human reproduction to know how it works. And, uh, well, I'm a virgin. But you see, her question here is not one of doubt, but one of wonder. I've already looked once back at, at the announcement of John's birth, but Zechariah has a question as well. After, God, after Gabriel proclaims to him what's going to happen, Zechariah in, in Luke 1.18 says to him, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife has advanced in years. See, Zechariah's question is a question of doubt. How am I, how I know this is true? Give me a sign or something. There's too many variables at play here that don't line up. Mary doesn't say, how, give me a sign. Mary, Mary doesn't say, she says, give me the details. I, I believe you, but help me understand how this is to be. You know, I've got three girls at, at home, and there are times where they ask questions that are really, um, they're really fun. They ask a lot of questions. Sometimes they, they're, they're, they're questions that you want to answer, and sometimes they're questions where you just want to say, because I said so. That's not a great answer. I feel terrible when I say it. So I, have to, I, I go through the process of, of trying to help them understand what's going on as best I can. But sometimes I'll get asked questions about, like, well, how does that work? I'm like, I don't know. I failed out of chemical engineering school. I don't have a clue. Like, let's get, you know, that's, that's beyond me. Mary's asking, how is this going to happen? What are the details? Help me understand. It's a question of wonder. How can me, a virgin, have this child that you're telling me I'm going to have? Do you have that kind of wonder at God's grace? We should, right? I mean, we often look in the mirror and probably wonder, I'm not worthy of this. Uh, You know, God doesn't love me. And yet then we turn to God's word and it proclaims to us, no, you can have his favor. In Christ Jesus, you can have God's favor. Our question should be how, for a sinner like me, can you give me your favor? Gabriel answers her. Gives her more than she probably bargained for. He answers and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So he answers her. The, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the same power that we need. It's the same power that, that, that God works in us to bring about our salvation in Christ. But this power is going to come upon her and it overshadow her. This is a word that we read and probably don't think much of, but that word overshadows, it shows up as God comes to his people and his presence is among them, shows up again and again in the Old Testament. His, his, his presence overshadows at Mount Sinai. It overshadows at the tent of meeting. It overshadows at the temple when he comes to be present among his people. So Gabriel's saying that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And God, the Lord God, the most high God, his presence will be with you. 
Because that child that you will bear will be called holy. Because that child that you will bear is the Son of God. It's the God Son. It's the second person of the Trinity that will be in you, Mary. That's how this is going to happen. The power of the Holy Spirit upon you and the presence of God that you will bear. And he goes on and gives her something she didn't ask for. A sign. That's what Zechariah wanted. Zechariah wanted proof that this was true. Mary doesn't ask for proof. She asks the question of how. How, How's this going to work out? Give me the details. But she gets a sign. Zechariah got a sign as well. God was gracious to him in answering his prayers, gracious to give him a sign. Mary doesn't ask for one, but he is gracious to give her one and says to her, that cousin, that relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son and is in her sixth month with her who was once called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. We don't know how old Elizabeth is. But she's old. She's old enough that nobody in their right mind thought she'd be having a baby. You know, and in our scripture reading, it says that the way of the woman had left Sarah. We don't, we're not quite told that with Elizabeth, but we're just, I mean, she's old. Real old. Old enough that Zachariah's like, man, I'm old. She's old. Enough that it would be a miraculous sign for her to be pregnant. And that it would show Mary that this is true. And so she's given this sign So she has this question, this question of wonder how, but then she also has this submission. She says after being told how, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed. She submits. She says, I am a servant. I'm a bond servant. I'm a slave to the Lord. Let it be according to your word. God's favor, God's grace moves her to submission. This is what it means to be a Christian. We might even say that Mary is the first Christian. Being a Christian is just simply believing Jesus is who he says he is, who God's word says he is, and responding and saying, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's what Mary does. It means trusting God. In all of our relationships, romantic and otherwise, it, it means trusting God in our work and our success, trusting God in our, in our families and letting him carry the burden for the loved ones that we have. It means turning and trusting to him in those times of trouble where things seem impossible and remembering that nothing is impossible for God. It means turning to him and trusting him in our fears and our anxieties because that's what Mary does. You know, she's betrothed to Joseph. And I know we have engagement, and it's a big deal. Engagement's a huge deal. You go and spend a whole lot of money on a ring. Young men, if you, you like, start saving now. I can't even imagine how much it's going to cost when you get to that point in life. And after you spend a whole lot of money on a, on a ring, you, you have so much time between that moment and, and the wedding. And you spend a whole lot of time planning the wedding and the crazy expensive reception that goes with it, right? And then you're, you know, you're married at that point. But while you have a ring on it, they're, they're, it happens from time to time. People realize, you know, maybe, maybe we probably shouldn't get married. Actually, like, as we've been engaged now, I'm seeing some things that make me go, mm, no, nah, I don't think we're good for each other. And you break off the engagement. There's no legally binding contract or anything like that. It just, sometimes it means I'm going to give the ring back. Sometimes it just means I'm not gonna, we're not going to get married and I take the ring to the pawn shop. Um, 
That's not the case for Mary and Joseph. They're betrothed. It's a bigger deal than just an engagement. And in and, and fact, because they're betrothed, right, when, when he finds out about the baby, what does he begin to think through? I'll just divorce her quietly. Why is he going to divorce her quietly? Because even though they're just betrothed and not married, everyone's going to think she's been adulterous. Everyone's going to think that she's been with another man. This baby that she's carrying is not Joseph. And even for the betrothed, adultery was punishable by death, stoning. At, at, at the, the least, she's going to be an outcast completely from town and from her family and from everyone. At worst, she's going to die. And yet she says, I'm serving the Lord. Let it be according to your word. She has to submit herself to the word to carry the word incarnate. It means trusting him with our fear and anxiety. Because she believes those words that nothing is impossible with God, that God will make a way that she's not going to die, that she's not going to be an outcast, that maybe she's not even going to lose Joseph. He'll understand what's going on. He'll stick by me because nothing is impossible with God. Mary has the strength to bear this burden. And not just the burden of what might happen, but the burden of, of being pregnant. I've never been pregnant, surprise. But my wife's been pregnant, and I've, I've watched her through those pregnancies, and it doesn't seem like it's a comfortable thing. You know, you, you start talking about your back hurting, and you're not able to sleep, and, you know, then you want, like, crazy food things, and, you know, you want massages all the time, and your, your clothes stop fitting like they used to, not because you just ate too much, but because you're growing a human inside of you, and you know, all these things are happening. It's not a comfortable thing. And she's saying, I'll take it. I'll take on the burden. I'll take on the, the, the possibilities of, of, of death and, and being an outcast. I'll take on the burden of the pain of childbirth. For I'm a servant of the Lord. And she has the strength to bear that burden. Not because she's stronger than you or I. Not because she's more special than you or I. But because she has strength that comes by faith in Jesus the child she is to bear, a strength that comes from resting in the favor of God. Do you have his favor this morning? Do you know the blessed assurance of the love of your heavenly father? Do you know the peace that surpasses all understanding that comes from the atoning blood of Christ, our savior? Do you know the hope of divine favor? Hope that wore a diaper. I hope you do. If you don't this morning, I, I invite you to, to come and talk. I, I invite you to, to, to pray even now that God would reveal his truth to you, that you would know and experience God's favor this morning, that you would know and experience the loving affection of your heavenly Father. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing that in Christ Jesus we can know your favor. That in Christ Jesus we can know your loving affection. That in Christ Jesus we experience your grace. And that in him we can be your favorites too. We pray this in his name. Amen.